What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Harley Finkelstein is an entrepreneur, lawyer, and the president of Shopify. In this conversation, we discuss Shopify, the expansion of the digital economy, competing with Amazon, how he spends his day, digital as default, and the role for Bitcoin and crypto moving forward. I really enjoyed this conversation with Harley, and I think you will as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is OKCoin. They're a leading crypto exchange for both beginners and experienced users. You can fund your account in under two minutes and get access to the most advanced trading engine, all while paying the lowest trading fees in the industry, 0.1%. So if you want to use a regulated US-based exchange that is good for both beginners or experienced users and has the institutional trading engine that you're looking for, but is as easy as anything else to get your account funded and start trading today, head on over to okcoin.com slash pomp. Again, okcoin.com slash pomp and open your account today. Okcoin.com, a regulated US-based exchange that'll get you started in just minutes. OKCoin.com slash POM. Next up is CoinStats. If you own crypto in a lot of places like me, you know how difficult it can be to keep track of it all. That's why CoinStats is one of my favorite apps. Whether you keep your crypto on hardware wallets, mobile wallets, exchanges, liquidity pools, or somewhere else, CoinStats lets you track it all in one place on your iPhone, Android, Apple Watch, or computer. You can see all of your transactions and your profit loss history and get advanced analytics on your portfolio's performance. You can try it for free or go to coinstats.app/pomp and get 40% off your premium subscription. Again, if you own crypto in a lot of places, you know how difficult it can be to keep track of it all. Go use CoinStats. coinstats.app/pomp. coinstats.app/pomp. And you can either use the product for free, or if you want to use the paid subscription features, you'll get 40% off that paid subscription. Coinstats.app slash pomp. Go check it out. Don't forget that I also write a daily letter to over 120,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics in easy-to-understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. So if you want to buy and sell crypto, go to okcoin.com. If you want to keep track of all the crypto that you own, go to coinstats.app slash pomp. OKCoin.com slash POMP, CoinStats.app slash POMP, and POMPLetter.com. All right, let's get in this episode with Harley. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by POMP or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by POMP as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Harley here with me. Thanks so much for doing this, sir. Thanks for having me, Pomp. It's great to be on the show. Absolutely. Let's jump right into your background. Uh, obviously, you haven't been running Shopify forever. Uh, so let's just start kind of from the beginning. Where'd you grow up and how did you get to uh, the president of the business? 
So born in Montreal in Canada, uh, grew up in South Florida, moved down there when I was a kid and uh, ended up going to McGill University when I was 17. So I moved back to Canada uh, in 2001 and had no plan on becoming an entrepreneur per se. I was always entrepreneurial, but never really planned to be an entrepreneur. 2001, uh, September, I moved to Canada. My parents are still in Florida. And unfortunately, stock market goes sideways. Uh, everything goes really, really sideways for my family. My parents lose everything. And mom calls and says, your dad's not around anymore. We have no money. Um, you should come back down to South Florida. And I don't know if you've ever been to Montreal, uh, but it's just this amazing city. It's sort of like, you know, it, it's it's this European enclave in the middle of Canada. And it's just amazing and interesting. And I was 17. I want to be by my, I want to stay on my own. So I tried my hand at a couple different jobs. I, I've been DJing since I was a kid. So I, I DJed on weekends and I tried to sell vacations. Nothing really allowed me to subsidize my income and help my mom and sisters. A friend of mine told me that uh, McGill University spends a bunch of money selling t-shirts or giving away t-shirts and that uh, I should go to the t-shirt business. I knew nothing about the t-shirt business, uh, but I thought that was a really interesting idea. Montreal has this long history of t-shirts and, and the apparel industry. And I thought that I would be able to kind of navigate that and ended up starting this little t-shirt business, making t-shirts for universities, uh, sort of the promotional products that they sell in the bookstore and that they give out in the orientation and, uh, and ran that business uh, all throughout undergrad. A mentor of mine, uh, I've had mentors that was, was small, we can talk a bit about that later. A mentor of mine convinced me to go to law school, not to become a lawyer, but to become a better entrepreneur. And this particular mentor was teaching law at the University of Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. And so I applied to one law school uh, in Ottawa, moved here in 2005, and didn't have a friend or a family member, didn't know anybody here. I'd never even been to Ottawa, but I came here for school. And I started asking uh, where the entrepreneurs hung out. Those were sort of my tribe. Those are the people that I always hung out with. And I want to sort of meet other like-minded people. And I was directed to this uh, random coffee shop in Ottawa uh, where five entrepreneurs hung out uh, every Friday night. And frankly, they just commiserated with each other. They shared best practices. They talked about things that they had discovered about their businesses. And, and I just joined up with that group. And one of the entrepreneurs uh, that was part of that group was Toby. Now, this is 2005. So Toby, uh, a year earlier, had wanted to sell snowboards on the internet. And so in 2004, there were two ways to sell something on the internet. One way uh, was to sell in a marketplace like Amazon or eBay or something like that, um, which although it was inexpensive, it didn't allow you to build your own brand. You were effectively renting customers from those marketplaces. You didn't have a direct relationship with the end consumer. But the other way to build a beautiful, scalable, unique online store it was really expensive at that time. And we're talking about like Magento, ATG, Hybris, WebSphere, these really big investments, and he didn't have that kind of money. So like any good entrepreneur, uh, if you don't like the two options, you generate a new option. And his new option was to write a piece of software to sell these snowboards. And uh, that was 2004. By 2005, he realized that people actually may really benefit and value the software to sell their own products so that the, the snowboard business was a good idea but the software behind that snowboard business may be a great idea. And that's around the time that I met Toby uh, in 2005 and ended up becoming one of Shopify's first merchants. I took my B2B t-shirt business and turned into a B2C uh, online t-shirt retailer. And uh, after I finished law school and business school, I called Toby in 2009 and said, uh, that piece of software that you had built, that you had written, gave me independence. It helped me find my life's work. It was effectively a superpower for an entrepreneur. And I wanted other people to have that same experience. And that was about 11 years ago. How did the uh, t-shirt business turn out? 
Uh, we shut it down around this time I started at Shopify. I found that fulfilling t-shirt orders and in the early days of any company, as, as you you know, it's you're, you're kind of a Swiss army knife. And so I was sort of the first non-engineer at Shopify. And so my my job was do effectively everything that the, the small handful of engineers don't want to do. And it just got too, uh, it just got too busy. So it's actually, I, I'm not going to give it out because I know you have a big audience and I don't want everyone sort of DDoSing my, my t-shirt shop, but it is still there for nostalgic reasons. Uh, but I no longer sell t-shirts, although I am obsessed with t-shirts and hoodies as, as you and I have discussed in the past. Absolutely. So where uh, what we discussed was uh, you wear black t-shirts and black hoodies. Uh, I have a black hoodie on because I pretty much wear that every day as well. Uh, where did your obsession uh, with black t-shirts and black hoodies come from? I always felt, uh, so I, I, after law school, I, I articled for 10 months, which is effectively the, the, the process to get called to the bar to become officially mm. a lawyer. And the dress code at this law firm, it was a law firm in, in Toronto, uh, was obviously, you know, a suit, suit and tie every single day. And I always found it ironic that they they were pushing this idea of wearing a suit and tie every day because most of the lawyers didn't look good. It looked like they were wearing their dad's jacket or the tie wasn't done up properly. The suit didn't fit well. But yet that's what they were dictating that lawyers wear, even though lawyers didn't look very good. And I remember when I got to Shopify, I, I just, I wanted, to, I wanted nothing to do with the suit anymore because the suit had this negative connotation for me. Uh, and I wanted something that I think to your point, uh, I know you believe this, I wanted to reduce the cognitive load of selection every single morning. I wanted something that looks good, that feels good. And so um, I ended up discovering and actually meeting James Purse from James Purse, the brand. And what I loved about James Purse from, from a, um, a product perspective was I'm not a small size. I'm not a medium size. I'm kind of in the middle. And James Purse does this zero, one, two, three, four, five kind of sizing. Uh, so he has sort of these half sizing. And then I think a couple of years, maybe around 2013 or 14, I realized that wearing a t-shirt during Canadian winters just didn't work. It was just too cold. So I found these hoodies from a company called Blue Salt, which uh, is a great entrepreneur, uh, Lindy, who's out of Malibu. And she created actually like machine washable cashmere hoodies. And uh, so between James Purse t-shirts and machine washable hoodies from Blue Salt, uh, that's my wardrobe. Uh, well, now you know where I'm going to go uh, since we finished this up. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, when you first started Shopify, um, you understand that you're building a business. You understand that you kind of have grand visions. Did you guys ever think you could build a hundred plus billion dollar business and kind of have it grow into what it's become today? You know, I think Shopify was incredibly misunderstood for a very long time. I think we were uh, underestimated certainly, but, but also misunderstood. You have to understand that um, the market, I remember some of the early uh, VCs that we met with when we were first thinking of raising our Series C, excuse me, our Series A, uh, well before our Series C, our Series A, would tell us that the market is not big enough, that the total addressable market for e-commerce software was very, very small. And I think what a lot of folks missed, forget about Shopify, but just the Shopify market was that the pie itself like we wanted a bigger piece of the pie, but we were also expanding the pie itself. And that the market for folks that wanted software that makes more than cost was far bigger than any spreadsheet would, 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 would describe. So the idea initially was anyone that wants to sell something online can, and they can build a beautiful online store for $29 and it's going to be customized to their brand. It's going to be scalable. It's going to have all the things they, 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 they need. Um, but it wasn't until... I think around 2014, 2015, kind of, you know, a year or two before the IPO, the people began to realize, wait a second, this is, this is 
different. What, what Shopify is doing is they're trying to create new entrepreneurs. We're, we're giving software to existing entrepreneurs and making sure they can run, scale, build businesses more effectively. But what we're also doing is we are expanding the definition and the pool of people that self-identify as entrepreneurs. And, uh, and so, no, I, I, I don't think people understood it. I think we knew that there was something really special here. It's the reason why um, certainly Toby and I, but our team, you know, this is our life's work, this idea, you know, every 52 seconds, this is interesting. Every 52 seconds, a brand new entrepreneur gets their first sale on Shopify. And, and the reason that I think is so interesting is not, I mean, you hear us talk about Kylie Jenner building a billion dollar brand on Shopify, right? Or Allbirds or Bombas or Tommy John or Fashion Nova, um, or these, you know, Kit, these amazing companies that have built huge businesses from their mom's kitchen table all on Shopify and never, never had to leave and never will leave. But it's those, those merchants that make that the first time entrepreneurs who commercialize their hobby, who need to make more money, especially during a pandemic, who hate their job and want to find a way to self-actualize and be creative. And I think this idea that Shopify is becoming the entrepreneurship company, that is something that people are just beginning to understand. So when you think of that, like there's the, what I'll call storefront, which is just, Hey, we give you some software and you can set up a store. You can sell things on the internet. How else does that kind of manifest itself? Are there other things that you guys think go into that bucket of just, we're going to take individuals and help them transition to self-identifying as an entrepreneur and how that will kind of show up in the software? Yeah. So if you sort of think of uh, the product of Shopify in different chapters, chapter one was make it really easy to open up an online store and start selling to a global audience. And that was something that we knew was needed. We knew that folks couldn't do it. It was too expensive. You either needed to be an engineer or you need a lot of money to, to build your own online store. There was some open source software when we got started, but it was very, very complicated. And again, while the marketplaces do play a role, you don't have a direct relationship with that marketplace. The marketplace effectively is renting you these customers. And, 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 and so if you want to have a real brand, you want to build something, that's not a great solution either. So step one or chapter one was build an online store. And then one of the things we began to realize was that there are these things that every single merchant needed when they were starting an online store. So for example, payments. Uh, so we created Shopify payments, I think around 2012, 2013, so that anyone who's starting on Shopify would immediately have a merchant, uh, a merchant gateway, a way to transact credit cards in real time. Uh, and, and the rates that they would get would, uh, would be better because we would leverage our economies of scale. And then sort of the next chapter was, okay, where, where else are people selling? Well, people are selling offline as well. And so the next product we brought out was this the Shopify point of sale, Shopify retail, so that you can sell in an online store and an offline store, and it all feeds back in one centralized back office. And then that has sort of evolved and expanded to what, what, I, what I think is, and we don't really use this term much, but it's worthwhile mentioning, this idea of Shopify being a retail operating system. And where you have this centralized back office, where you have your inventory and you have your marketing tools and you have your shipping and fulfillment tools and you have reporting and analytics and everything you need to run the day-to-day. -day. And one major channel, one major sort of spoke is online store. One other spoke may be offline, but maybe you also want to cross-sell on Instagram or Facebook or uh, Pinterest or um, Walmart or Amazon, who are also channels of ours. And then what you, if, when you zoom out, what you realize is the future of retail, if you believe it's, it's retail everywhere, which we do, we think the future of retail is where consumers want to purchase, then what we're trying to build is, is we want to connect merchants and brands with consumers wherever they might be. 
And, uh, and along the way, we've added things like capital. We've given out about a billion dollars of capital to small businesses. We've added uh, the Shopify Fulfillment Network, which I know you, you, you want to talk about later, which I'm happy to talk about as well. We've added things like uh, Shopify Balance, which makes things like um, cash management easier. And, and this just continues and continues. And so what you end up with is that every pain point that an entrepreneur may face um, we're trying to reduce that. We're trying to uh, level the playing field so that someone that has a great idea can become the next Allbirds or the next Bombus, um, and they can do so with ever having, without ever having to leave Shopify. Yeah, one of my favorite parts about the entire company story is just this idea that you guys continue to arm the rebels, right? I know you guys talk about it and, and uh, have really built it in the software. Uh, when you think through that, uh, obviously one of the elephants in the room is Amazon. And they're this you know big, massive business that seems to be dominating the world and people read all these stats. And it was almost like you know Shopify was almost an afterthought for a while. But I think over the last couple of years, people have woken up. And to your point, maybe it was a misunderstanding of what you were going after. And then two was a size uh, thing. And now that you're more than a $100 billion business, people start to say, wait a second, like this is a massive business. This market is way bigger than we thought. Uh, and also the Shopify platform is very, very compelling when compared to some of its competitors. So how do you think about you know, where you pick the battles to fight against competitors, whether it's Amazon's, uh, you know, FBA, whether it's like delivery, fulfillment, there's just so many different things that go into this mission of arming the rebels and really helping them be successful entrepreneurs. How do you just prioritize and decide when to actually go and, and work on something versus when maybe uh, it's just not a, wor a fight worth fighting? Yeah. So right now, uh, as we sit here, uh, Shopify is the second largest online checkout uh, in America. Um, so Amazon is the first largest, the second one would be Shopify. That's, now, that's pretty cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm saying it like, as if you like, as if that's, it's so normal, but, but that is incredible. Now, the reason it's incredible is, is as follows. It is, it, that's not a flex. It isn't like, look how big we are. The reason that we're so proud of being the second largest checkout is because if you were to pretend for a second that we were a retailer, we were a store. When we would go to a payment company or a shipping company or any supplier in our, in our ecosystem, in our, in our universe, as a retailer, we would have this massive economy of scale. We would walk in with gusto and the confidence and, frankly, the leverage that the second largest retailer in America would walk in with. But the difference is that we still do that, except we don't keep those economies of scale for ourselves. So when we talk to payment companies or capital companies or fulfillment companies, we, we, we want the same thing that they would give the second largest retailer, but rather than um, keeping those and using those, we give those to every business that starts on Shopify. And that means that the moment you start on Shopify, the access you have to all the different things you need to run your business, you are getting them at this incredible scale because you're part of this you know, larger platform, this larger community of over a million Shopify stores. So the more scale we have, the better we can arm these rebels, the better those rebels can compete and more of those, you know, uh, what would have been insurgents can become really incredible incumbents. I mean, it's, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume at some point in the Nike boardroom, they're talking about Gymshark and they're talking about Allbirds. Um, that is amazing. Think about that. Like those companies did not exist six years ago and now they are leaders in their category. That type of growth and scale never happened in retail. It took generations for you to get that sort of scale. And now that's happening very, very quickly. And we don't take any credit for Allbirds success or Gymshark success, but we've given them the tools so they can do so really quickly, really effectively. And so that's sort of the first part. The second part is 
all these marketplaces and, and, and just, you know, on, from Shopify as a merchant, you could cross sell directly from the admin on Walmart or on Amazon or on eBay, or certainly on all the social media platforms, because that's where consumers are. That's where they're hanging out. If this was hundred years ago, you would want to sell in a town square. That's where the baker sold bread. And that's where the cobbler sold shoes. That's where people were hanging out. But because consumers are hanging out everywhere, the responsibility that Shopify has to, to our merchants is to make sure they can sell anywhere. But the reason that folks often sell on some of these marketplaces beyond just getting access to that audience is because they don't know how to get fulfillment on their own. So they can use FBA. They don't necessarily know exactly how to get great rates on payments. So they want to use, you know, uh, pay with Amazon or they want to use the one click checkout. But all of that is now being made available without needing to ship your product with someone else's brand on the box like you would with FBA. If you use a shop fulfillment network, like let's say Hedonist, for example, you now have Hedonist boxes that are going out. You still get economies of scale. We're still shipping it on your behalf. But now your brand is what the consumer is interacting with. And what we try to figure out is where do we have an unfair advantage? Um, so capital is a great example. Small businesses notoriously have trouble getting capital. It's just banks don't like to lend small businesses. They don't have a lot of assets. They don't have a lot of collateral to put down. And a lot of the banks don't have access to information to make a smart underwriting decision. But we do. We understand the size, the value, the health of each of those businesses. And so we can make much better, more effective underwriting decisions, which then gives these merchants these loans and cash advances they can spend on marketing and in, on inventory. And I think all that in aggregate, in aggregated, what you, what you end up with is... Um, a much more fair playing ground for these DTC brands, these entrepreneurs to compete. And, um, and I think that that's what we're seeing. And, and, and as we sort of finished Black Friday, Cyber Monday 2020, what we saw is on the demand side, consumers also changed how they're playing now. Consumers voted with their wallets unequivocally in, the, in Q4 of, of, 20, uh, of 2020. We saw this during Black Friday and Cyber Monday and throughout the holiday season that they would prefer to buy from independent businesses, assuming it's as convenient, as easy, as pleasurable. And it is. One-click checkout is now, is now offered on shop, with ShopPay. The ability to fulfill properly, we can help with that. The ability to have a beautiful online store, we can help with that as well. Or cross-sell on Instagram, we can help with that too. And I think what we're, what we're talking about here is probably some of the most exciting times of retail of the last 100 years are happening right now. Why do you think the consumer uh, kind of trend has shifted? Is that something where uh, these independent brands are getting better at uh, marketing and kind of customer acquisition and they're going where uh, the consumers are? Is it something where consumers are almost kind of silently protesting and they don't want to go to some of the centralized uh, marketplaces and they want to go direct? Like, What's driving that shift? That's very interesting. I think part of it is that, you know, it just something like, you know, one click checkout. That a consumer may have been frustrated a couple of years ago that if I'm buying off an independent store, the checkout takes, I don't know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds, takes a full minute. Whereas on some of the marketplaces with one-click checkout, it's much more convenient. And so even though they know and they feel they want to support those, those independent businesses, and I think the way a lot of them think about it is when I buy something from an independent merchant, an independent entrepreneur, I am voting with my wallet for that entrepreneur, for that brand, for that product to exist in the world. And I think we all, um, at our core, want small businesses to exist. In fact, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. And I think all of us agree that on the other side of the pandemic, for our communities, our cities, our the places where we live to be interesting, to have culture, we need independent businesses to exist. So we as humans, I think, and consumers want these things to happen. But if it's really inconvenient, 
we may not always make the right decision. We may decide to go buy it off a big department store or a big marketplace. But again, Shop Pay or Apple Pay or Android Pay, if you've ever used Shop Pay, but Shop Pay to me is the greatest way to check out on the internet. It's not only fast and convenient and safe, it just it takes no time. It just it's it's a pleasure to use. It's it's quite unbelievable. And so as you begin to take away some of the value that those big department stores or big marketplaces have, and you replicate that and you give it to the hands of the rebels, you see consumers uh, uh, shifting their buying preferences. And the other thing is, from a from a brand perspective, um, there is a tension between some of the marketplaces and the brands. They see a product that looks just like theirs, and it wasn't there a week ago. And why is it there now? Like they just had some success in the marketplace, and now they're being you know, someone's competing with them. There is, we are merchant obsessed. All we care about is helping merchants. And I think a lot of the department stores or, or some of the marketplaces have a very different obsession. Maybe it's on the end consumer. And so they, they, not that they don't care about the merchant, but the, you know, the primary uh, stakeholder for them is the end consumer. And I think we can still handle, make sure the end consumer has a great experience, but care about the merchant. And then I think probably the final point is I don't want everyone wearing the exact same black hoodie. I like the fact that I can browse amazing direct-to-consumer brands and, and brands in general and find something that is uniquely me, that fits me, that looks good on me, that, and I can support all the people behind that business. And that, I think, is, um, I'm not sure COVID changed that, but something is different now, certainly from the consumer side, where, if possible, I'm always going to buy directly from an independent business. Yeah, that's a great perspective. Uh, when you started, uh, you literally did everything that was non-engineering, it sounds like. Uh, and today you obviously have many, many more employees and, and kind of entire organizations. Uh, I'm a big believer that what you spend time on is kind of a prioritization or a proxy for that prioritization. How do you spend your day to day? Like what does a normal day look like for you across all of these different products and orgs and, um, you know, kind of the now versus what your guys are building in the future? Yeah. Um, the neat part of Shopify is that it feels, so I've spent about a third of my life at Shopify. I'm in my mid thirties. I've been here for 11 years. It's, it's a long time. And, and, and I hope to stay here the rest of my life. It's just, it, it, the mission of Shopify, which is to democratize entrepreneurship, to arm the rebels, to make commerce better, uh, is, is so the over the Venn diagram overlap with my own personal interests is completely, you know, is completely overlapped. And part of it is, you know, I think entrepreneurship was always a way for folks to survive. And now I think it's a way for folks to survive and to do something that is really interesting and exciting to them. And so many of our, I mean, my grandparents immigrated to Canada in the fifties. They didn't call themselves entrepreneurs. Uh, my grandfather started a little uh, egg stand selling eggs at a farmer's market because he needed to survive. Uh, and the idea that entrepreneurship should be accessible to everybody and anyone that has a hobby should consider commercializing that hobby. And anyone that has a passion should consider about sharing that passion with the world. Um, a lot of what I'm doing right now is trying to tell that story, is, is trying to ensure that more people consider entrepreneurship. And they may not try it with Shopify, although more and more people are you know, using Shopify to start their entrepreneurial journey. But I... I I, so right now it's a lot of, it's a lot of that. I want people to understand that entrepreneurship is not complicated and it is not expensive and it's not out of reach that it is accessible. And whether you sell two products a day or two products a second, you know, or you take your, you know, your, your YouTube channel, like Jeffree Star did and turn that into a Shopify store and completely disrupt the cosmetic industry. And you're competing against Sephora. Um, that's what, that's what I'm excited about. I'm trying to spend a lot more of my time right now inviting more people into this idea that entrepreneurship um, is this great way to 
to find your life's work and, 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 and to find independence. In the past though, what's because Shopify is growing so fast, it's a little bit like the red queen race. Are you familiar with that term? I am. Yeah. So the neat part about a company like Shopify is because it's growing so fast, if you simply as an individual grow as fast as Shopify, there is no, there's no Delta. There, there is no alpha. There, there is no way to continue to do your job and to requalify. And so what I love about Shopify is that over the, over the, over the years, there's always this big, interesting new problem that I get to solve. In the early days, it was how can we invite larger merchants to come onto the platform with Shopify Plus? Uh, then it was, okay, well, Shopify's core offering does what most people need most of the time. How do we ensure our product has everything that any merchant might need, no matter what vertical they're in? And that created the App Store and the Shopify Partner Program. The IPO was something that um, was completely new to new to us, new to me. I'd never obviously taken a company public. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, and getting good at not only taking the company public, but then running a publicly traded company and not letting things like quarterly earnings be a distraction to the vision. Um, there is no shortage of those big challenges. And, and, and the way that I sort of view these challenges is that I need to requalify for my job every year, which means that I have to run faster and grow faster um, than Shopify does. And, and that is incredibly difficult and incredibly rewarding. Talk a little bit about COVID and maybe not so much in what changed for merchants and for consumers, but inside of the organization. Uh, my guess is that you had to go remote. And so there's all sorts of things around how do you continue to scale the team? How do you continue to keep the company culture? Just talk mm -hmm. through kind of how you as an operator um, and, and some of the obstacles and, and workarounds that you guys figured out to make sure that uh, the company kind of stayed on the trajectory that it was during COVID. That's a tough one. Um, that's a, it's a, it's, it's a tough one. It's, um, when COVID hit a couple of things were apparent to us, even in it, even before COVID hit, um, right now you and I are talking and there's two squares. There's the Pomp square and the Harley square and we're next to each other. And it would be great if you and I were in the same room together, we would feel the energy. Maybe there would, I, I would notice particular body language or voice inflection, or I would, you know, that there would be nuances of the conversation that would be difficult for me to pick up right now. But what was happening more and more was that when we were, when I was joining a meeting, there would be three or four squares, uh, you know, Google Hangout or Zoom or whatever. And in one square, there'd be one person. In the second square, there'd be a second person. And then another square, there'd be three people together. They'd be in the same location. That to me is the worst model. So best model, everyone's in the same room. Very difficult to do that though, when you're, you know, five, six, 7,000 people uh, across 17 different locations. Um, so the best case is everyone's in the same room. The worst case is some people are in the same room, some people are not in the same room. And so we had already been feeling a little bit like there, there needs to be a better model here, which allows us to continue growing, but scaling communication, scaling the way we interact with each other. And then COVID hit and we said, look, uh, we're going to go digital by default, which doesn't mean we're never going back to an office, but it means that Shopify's office centricity is over that going forward, we will use offices and leverage offices for things like onboarding and planning. And when we need to get together to do something really difficult and, and where being in person really, really matters. But generally, we're going to be a digital by default company. And COVID sort of accelerated that. Um, and as someone that is a you know, power extrovert, um, that was really difficult for me. I, I felt lonely. I felt my anxiety levels, um, I've had anxiety since I was a kid and, and I, I've gotten pretty good at managing that, but my anxiety levels were dramatically elevated uh, because I didn't feel that energy. And my wife's an entrepreneur as well. And, and, and she was feeling that way too. And so 
uh, it took a while to sort of recalibrate on a personal level how I can still get energy, how I can still um, connect with people in a way that is meaningful, that is authentic, even though it, it may be digital. On the merchant side, um, we told everyone, I think it was like March 17th or March 18th, 2020, uh, throw out your plans for the year. Whatever you were planning to do, whatever your roadmap was, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is helping entrepreneurs uh, that use Shopify survive and, 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 and get through this thing. And so within a couple of days, we extended capital to, we were just doing capital in, in the US, we extended capital uh, to small businesses in the UK and Canada. We added a gift card functionality. So service-based businesses can also use Shopify. We recreated, uh, we, we added functionality to point of sale so that anyone that had us in their brick and mortar store can easily transition to uh, local pickup and, and, and curbside pickup and local delivery. So there were a bunch of stuff we did really, really quickly to get, to get, um, to help small businesses. And what I hope, you know, the, the Irish prime ministers uh, had this great, I think it's Irish prime minister. Uh, he, he had said during COVID, he said, uh, let the world see that when, when the world was at its worst, we were at our best. And I hope what, you know, the legacy of Shopify during COVID was that we really, you know, we not only uh, put out new products and really developed functionality so that entrepreneurs and small business could survive this thing. But we showed up as the entrepreneurship company. And that, that's my hope of, of what, you know, what will be, when people look back on what we did, that's what they see. Yeah. I mean, you guys did a fantastic job uh, from somebody who, uh, you know, kind of watched from the sidelines. It was absolutely amazing to watch. So thank you. Uh, one, thank you, but also congratulations uh, you know, on all that success. Uh, I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, something that a lot of people who listen to this podcast will, will be interested in, which is digital currencies and kind mm-hmm. of the digital economy. Um, I, I've got this theory that, you know, every local economy or kind of nation state economy has uh, their own commerce, their own currency, uh, their own regulations, and you kind of just go through what makes an economy an economy, but it's all tied to a uh, a physical or analog space and a geographic boundary. Uh, We're obviously watching kind of the build out of a digital economy that necessarily isn't tied to those geographic spaces. And so if you think of what you guys have built, it's basically digital storefronts. And you could imagine kind of a main street and and you guys have been a huge part of that. Uh, But there's also other elements to that digital economy, whether it's digital currencies um, or other types of technology. And so just how do you see kind of the world evolving? And is this something where you will continue not only to be, you know, digital as default internally, but also it's just how do we incorporate everything from digital currencies to decentralized technologies, privacy centric technologies, um, or or just any thoughts there on that like digital economy thesis? So November 2013. Okay. Uh, plus or minus one month, but I'm pretty sure I'm close to that. Uh, like close okay. to the, the year in 2013, we actually enabled uh, we we enabled merchants uh, to be able to accept Bitcoin. And uh, this is that was early. Yeah, it was, it was early. That was definitely early. And and not just that, but I actually remember the first store that made a sale uh, using crypto. And uh, I don't know if the store still exists. Um, I'm sure all of your listeners will be checking it out. But it was actually SMS by fifty. Uh, it was fifty cents. Uh, headphone store. So this is around the time where Beats by Dre just came out. And I think there was a lot of attention around combining, you know, celebrity culture with hardware and stuff. And so Beats comes out, does really well. And then I think it was called SMS by 50. I mean, I think that's what the name was. And they enabled, uh, they enabled Bitcoin. And and, and so I, I don't look, uh, 
it is not necessarily something that a lot of people are using. A lot of consumers, it, it's not as if a lot of consumers are using crypto or Bitcoin to buy stuff across all the Shopify stores, but our merchants can accept it if, if, if they want. And, and it's, it's kind of neat trivia to know that uh, 50 Cent was one of the first guys to do that. But our view, like, you know, we're a member of the DM Association, which is you know, sort of formerly known as, as Libra. Um, we believe in a world with more choice and more entrepreneurs, not fewer. And, um, you know, I think our merchants data is not belong to Shopify. The way that we view data is our merchants data is their data. It belongs to them. They own it. The only thing that we can do is, 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 is give them insights based on that data so they can make better decisions. Um, and I think that, you know, this idea of trust is sort of at the core of everything that we do. And it's a filter for every decision that we make. Um, but I think the rules of the internet are changing. I think whether you look at advertising or data collection or currency, as you brought up, entrepreneurs need to be ready. And Shopify has a responsibility to make sure entrepreneurs have the very best tools to build relationships with customers. And so you're seeing this with Facebook's Novi and DM and Apple's changes to the advertising landscape. Um, so part of our responsibility as sort of the guardians of the world's entrepreneurs is to make sure in the same way that, you know, as soon as Instagram was uh, was talking about commerce. We wanted to make sure that we were going to be the launch partner for that. Or when you know uh, we heard that Walmart was going to open up their marketplace to third-party sellers, we wanted to make sure that that day merchants were able to go ahead and, and cross-sell on Walmart or, or Apple Pay was available. Um, we, we feel the responsibility and the weight on our shoulders that if merchants are going to put the trust in us and going to put their business on Shopify, then the onus and the responsibility is that we have to always show up with the most current ways to process, to do business, to interact with consumers. And I think crypto will play a role in that when it goes beyond just a store of value. And I know you talk a lot about this and, and I, I really like the way you think about decentralization and, and crypto in general, but our responsibility is not to say, here's how to do it, rather to give them the tools that they may want so they can make the best decisions. And that's the difference I think, between uh, you know, being a real platform and, mm -hmm. and, and being an aggregator. Yeah. And, and how does that play? Because I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. It's like, hey, we're going to basically build this toolbox. It's got a bunch of tools in it. You as the operator, meaning the, the storefront or, or the uh, business owner, you can choose to use whatever you want. You want to accept Bitcoin, knock yourself out. If you want to accept US dollars, you know, knock yourself out. It's kind of your choice. I think that that optionality is obviously very valuable for a lot of business owners. How do you think about some of the stuff that we're seeing? And I don't want to get into specific examples, but um, yeah, there's all these questions now about uh, everything from privacy to data to deplatforming. And it just feels like, um, I'll, I'll say the crowd, and, and really that's just a, a blanket term for people outside of your company. Uh, everyone has an opinion, right? And some of the opinions, maybe you agree with some of them, you don't, but just how do you think about hearing the opinion maybe, but not necessarily always um, you know, following what the opinion is, but also understanding that like listening is a key part of it. It just feels like uh, as an operator of a large business, especially a platform business where other people are relying on you, uh, some of these responsibilities are shifting a little bit. And so just yeah. any thoughts on kind of how that's evolved over the last, you know, maybe even two, three, four, five years? For us, the, the way we've always looked at it is that mm -mm, companies, uh, company culture, company decisions are very much based on uh, the people that are making those decisions. And one way to ensure that you are running a, a scalable company that makes good decisions is to systematize things. So years ago, you know, there may have been particular stores on Shopify that some people liked and some people didn't like, and some people thought were offensive and some things weren't offensive. And one, and, and, and one side loved these stores and one side hated these stores and vice versa. And Welcome so, to the internet. 
it, it, that, that's, that's exactly right. Welcome to the internet. I mean, just go to Twitter or anything and, and, and post something that you think is completely non-controversial and you'll see how quickly con- it is controversial. And so one of the things that we, we did early on uh, in the last couple of years, not that early on, but the last couple of years was we created this thing called the AUP. And it's a very simple document, but a very important document. It's, it's the access, uh, uh, accessible use policy. And what it does is it sets out a list of things, a list of terms that are prohibited, actions, products, um, uh, connections to the, you know, the owners of the store. Uh, it sets out what is prohibited on Shopify. And you know, it, it, you know, one example, it prohibits the promotion or the support of any organization or any platform or any person that threatens or condone violence. Uh, it's just an example of the AAP. And then we have a team, it's called Trust and Safety, um, and they uh, both do it manually, but also using great software and, and, and using machine learning. They can go through a thorough and rigorous assessment to figure out which stores contravene the AAP. And it is not easy work by any means. Um, and the team, I think, that team in particular has a very unique expertise that is of critical value to Shopify. But when a particular merchant or a store crosses that line and we can say objectively, this contravenes the AEP, they're gone. And that's that's the end of it. And I think one thing that a lot of companies are trying to avoid is, is, is systematizing it. It is nuanced, and the AUP probably, you know, there, uh, one example I'll give you is, is uh, ghost guns. Um, ghost guns, if, you, if your policy, your, your terms of service are effectively a proxy for legality, and you rely on the law to dictate what's allowed and what's not, the law doesn't catch up very quickly. The law is, there's legislation, there's common law, which is based on, on, on case law and precedent. So, Saying, well, you know, if, it, if it's legal, we're going to allow it is actually not that effective because something like ghost guns come out and all of a sudden there's this new category of weapons that is not technically against the law, but to us feels incredibly wrong. It, it, it contravenes our AEP. Systematizing these things make it easier. And it's, I'm not saying it's, we, we, we did it perfectly or our or, or, or system is flawless, but it is the best way that we have learned how to govern these type of conversations, these decisions. And it's made it easier for us to be as objective as someone can be. Yeah. The one thing I'll add to this um, is I, I don't think many people who have uh, don't haven't had the uh, both the pleasure and also the headache of working inside a, a large tech company that's scaling very quickly is uh, there's this understanding like you're not going to get it 100% right 100% of the time. Right. And so it, it's you're going to try to do the best you possibly can in every single situation. But obviously, there is going to be edge cases and nuance and, and all of that stuff. And so, um, but the I, answer I, is the answer is don't not try. Right. The answer is it's complicated. <laughs> so don't do, like I'm doing nothing. No, the answer is to try to find the system with the fewest amount of trade offs, the system with the fewest amount of flaws. And it's never going to be perfect. And then to look at that as a dynamic system whereby you can add things that they come, uh, you know, we had legalization of cannabis uh, in Canada uh, two years years ago, far well before other, you know, most other countries, certainly before the US on a, on a federal national level. That stuff is nuanced. And so there is a way to create systems that get better over time where you learn from, you know, you, you learn as, as, and you watch how laws are evolving. And, and that's what we're doing. It. And I, I think it's, again, it's not a perfect system, but it gives us a framework for making decisions that I think um, are, are objective and people can criticize, but at least they understand why we decided to, to do something. I think that's uh, that's the best way to be. Um, I've got five questions that I want to kind of run through in a lightning round, and then you'll get to ask me one to finish up. Uh, the first two are Shopify related. Uh, first being, what is your favorite customer story? 
like that one that just, for whatever reason, it stuck with you over the years. And you're like, you know, this is amazing. This really kind of embodies what we want to do at uh, Shopify. Uh, so I have a bias because uh, we have more than a million stores on the platform, but I, I, I personally know, and this is part of my job, I personally know a lot of our stores and I know their their origin story. And, and there are particular merchants that I met when they were just getting started and they just, I don't know, I, it's, it's, it, there's, um, there's this paternal pride almost. And I mean, maybe that sounds patronizing, but it's not meant to be. And one of those stores is, uh, one of those entrepreneurs is Ben Francis. I met Ben in 2012. He was delivering pizza at Pizza Hut in the UK in London. And he was going to school and he didn't like that the apparel uh, industry had not created something for uh, just regular people going to the gym. Not, you're not talking about big dudes that really are, you know, benching 800 pounds. Um, and he, he, so he created a, a, an apparel brand called, called Gymshark. And Gymshark has now become one of the greatest brands on the planet in that industry. Gymshark has become an icon. They are sort of the, the poster child for direct to consumer and for building a brand from scratch. And the best part is the, the thing that drives Ben today is the same thing that drove him then. And he did it with authenticity and he's done it with grit and he's done it with um, incredible uh, uh, sort of a commitment to not only being a better leader every year, but also making sure the company gets better. Even the way they do with influencers, I, I find incredibly sophisticated and smart. And, and so watching Ben's story all the way uh, from, you know, literally dorm room to, I, I, it just came out that, that uh, Gymshark is now a billion, more than a billion dollar brand uh, that was in the, uh, that was in the media in, in November. So I can, I can say that, uh, that is like, there's a twinkle in my eye, uh, thinking about that story. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud to watch, to see that. So if I had to pick like one business that is super transparent, digital first, you know, kind of all the things that, uh, uh, Shopify, I think stands for that probably would be near the top of the list. So it's pretty cool to hear you That's kind cool. of, uh, talk, talk about that one. And for those who haven't seen, I think it was in November when they made the, uh, announcement about their valuation, uh, Ben put out like a pretty cool behind the scenes video, really explaining, you know, all the way down to like, here's how much I own of the company. Here's why I made certain decisions. Just the transparency is, you know, off the charts. So yeah. Yeah, it's really cool to see. But, but something else pump that I'd say to that is the amount of this, people don't really talk about this. So people talk about investment. Yes. I'm sure Ben may have invested in a bunch of different companies, but the amount of, of startups and, and brands that have been inspired by Ben's story that have now gone on to create their own stories, that flywheel effect of entrepreneurship. I mean, that's what I'm here for. That is, is one of the most important things that is not really well documented or talked about because it's, it, that, that is the infinite game of all this, that more and more entrepreneurs are being created. And some of them are doing it for money. Some of them are doing it because they want to be famous. Some of them are doing it because they need to survive and put food on the table. Everyone on Shopify's definition of success is totally different, but the, the, the common thread is that they've all utilized entrepreneurship to find their version of success. And, and Ben exemplifies that. I love it. Uh, you've had the same business partners uh, and people around you for a very long time. What's the importance of kind of long-term partners in your opinion? Context. I think these companies uh, like Shopify and many others, there are so many, there's so many parts to it. I mean, if you, if, if Shopify was, our capital business, for example, if it was, it's a standalone company, it would be one of the biggest capital businesses on the planet. Uh, our point of sale company, if it was a standalone point of sale company, just for brick and mortar, it'd be one of the largest point of sale companies on the planet. So the, the, there's so many different moving parts to a business of our size. And we, you know, like Black Friday, I think we processed $2 billion worth of, worth of GMV on one day. I mean, there was, I think on a, on a permanent basis, we were seeing about 1.1 or $1.2 million a minute being processed on the platform. 
having people that have very, very deep context is very, very valuable. However, the caveat to it is you need to also requalify for your job every year. And when you combine people that want to requalify and do requalify and also have very, very deep context, you end up with a very, very long tenure. And I used to sort of attribute that to the Canadian thing that we're in Canada and, and people are more loyal here. I actually don't think it's a Canadian thing. Maybe it is, but, but it's, it's actually a Shopify thing. The average tenure at Shopify is very, very long. And part of it is that we look at people's careers as jungle gyms and not ladders. And, and someone who's running a team may want to go be an individual contributor. And someone who's individual contributor may want to go ahead and run a fulfillment network. And, and we, as long as you requalify, um, I, I, we, we want we want you to stick around, and that's been um, something that I'm, I'm really proud of uh, about our company and our team. It's impressive. Uh, three more questions. First up is a more serious one. What's the most important book that you've ever read? Ever read? Um, probably High Output Management by Andy Grove. Uh, I read it years ago, but I've read it probably again two years ago. But that would be uh, that would be the most important book to run a company. Um, and um, huh, what's another? Uh, yeah, I would say that one is probably the way. If you're going to give one book out, it'd be that one. Because I think that is just so, um, it's prescient and it, it's so helpful to run a business at any stage. And probably the hard things of hard, about hard things is kind of the, the, the new modern version of that. Because I think that Ben goes into detail about that stuff too. But I thought um, High Output was just amazing. It's a classic for a reason. Yeah, uh, exactly, it's a classic. Second one is a little bit more personal. Uh, our friends over at Eight Sleep, um, they've got this thermoregulation bed that I've been sleeping on, and I've become fascinated with getting better sleep. Uh, uh, what is your sleep routine, and how has that evolved over time? I'm sure when you were the only non-engineer employee, you were scrambling around not sleeping that much. Has it gotten better, or kind of how do you think about sleep? Uh, I need to sleep seven or eight hours. I find that I'm a basket case when I don't. I, Lindsay and I, my wife and I have two young children. We have a two-year-old, uh, Zoe, and a four-year-old, Bailey, and uh, they don't sleep that well. And so that is kind of tricky. So the last couple of weeks, they, the kids have been really tricky. And so um, my wife and I have been taking turns waking up. And, and then if I know that I have not had a really good night's sleep, I try not to have back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back meetings during the morning. I try to sort of, you know, come into the day. Um, but actually, you know, I, I, I have pretty high anxiety. And like I mentioned earlier, I've, I've learned how to manage it. One thing that I've done, and it's become almost, you know, almost common practice in tech and, and I think in, in sort of the entrepreneurship space, but meditation has been one of the greatest things I've ever done. Um, and I, 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 I'm religious about my calendar. I, I'm, I diarize everything in my calendar from a walk with my wife to a five or 10 minute meditation or mindfulness session. And, uh, I think sleep is incredibly important. And I, I don't have any ritual other than I, I need pitch black. One thing that I, I didn't have uh, previously was we had blinds, but they never closed properly. And that all, I didn't realize how much that affected me. And now I, I, I shut the blinds and, and it's pitch black. And that has been really helpful. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's crazy to hear once you learn that how important sleep is going backwards to crazy. not sleeping a lot. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I was the, totally. I was the exact same way. Um, and, because you because uh, you you think of like you know there's sort of this culture in the space that you and I are in where it's you know like work 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 and, and that's everything and and what I think you actually realize is if you want to do this over a longer period of time again like it's been a third of my life and I wanted the rest of my life I need to find a way to do this in a sustainable way that doesn't mean slowing down that doesn't mean me getting lazy or lethargic it just means you know I I grabbed some 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 tea before the session because. I, it's it's in the afternoon. It's it's almost three p.m. here uh, Eastern time. I want to make sure that I bring my best to this this discussion. And I know that if I drink coffee now, I won't sleep well at night. But if I have half a glass of matcha, it'll give me just this calm alertness that I'm looking for. 
I could not agree more. Uh, last question you get asked me one to finish up uh, is more fun. Aliens, are you a believer or a non-believer? Uh, what's the, it's called the Fermi paradox, right? Uh, I think it's, that's what it's called. There, there's, it's gotta be something like, like, where are they? I, I believe in the Fermi paradox. That to me is, is a paradox. I, I, I'm confused how we haven't find them. We, we haven't seen anybody where the hell is everybody is sort of the, so I, I think I subscribe to the Fermi paradox, uh, philosophy. Um, and, and my question for you, because I'm going I'm to flip this around is I I'm certain that you've purchased off a ton of different DTC brands, whether they're on Shopify or not. What is your favorite independent brand right now? Ooh, I'm cheating because I know the founders and I know their story. And like, there's always this like emotional connection when you know somebody's story. So sure. like, you know, founders who are watching, like go tell your stories and, uh, and you'll get more customers and they'll stay with you forever. Uh, but Adam's uh, shoes, both uh, Wakas and Sidra uh, are, are two immigrants uh, from Pakistan. And they just have this ridiculous story that like, you know, anyone born in the Western world can't imagine. Like they didn't right. know English. They didn't have access to the internet. You know, they met their parents were like, no, you can't hang out. Uh, and they come from these small villages in, uh, in Pakistan and eventually uh, not only kind of stay together, not only make it to the United States, but eventually start a company, get accepted into Y Combinator. And, you know, it's just like this crazy thing. Yeah. Um, and, and I always tell and people, and they know who they are, right? I mean, I just read an article about them, I think a week ago, where they put in an ad that says, we are, I think the ad is, we are not cheap. Something like that, right? That was, <laughs> yes, you see that? yes, right? yes, yes. And like, we are, we are, we are, we are not, we are not inexpensive or something like that. And I thought that was, what a clever thing to say, because what you're basically saying is, look, this is not for everyone, but for the people that it is for, these will be great shoes. These will be shoes you will absolutely love. And yes, the sticker price is 150 bucks. And yes, that's expensive for a pair of shoes. However, what you are buying is something that you are going to value. And I think that is so damn important. I think they're a Shopify merchant as well. Uh, so it's cool to, cool to cool for you to reference that. For sure. Well, listen, you're doing a fantastic job uh, oh, kind of you. not only sharing, I, th I think, the message of the business, but also just entrepreneurship in general. And, you know, it, it's a uh, pretty interesting to have this conversation after we watched 2020, where I think a lot of people just got reminded, you know, that there's a lot of stuff outside your control. But I think the one thing that uh, the United States, Canada, and, and many kind of capitalistic and, uh, and democracy driven uh, um, kind of areas in the world understand is like the people who want to uh, kind of change their situation, they can do it through entrepreneurship. And that's kind of the beauty of, uh, of living in this part of the world. So yeah, uh, just beautifully said, beautifully yeah. said, thank you so much for having me, Pomp. I really appreciate it. For sure. Where can we send people to find you on the internet? Uh, Harley F on Twitter, at Harley on Instagram. Uh, those are the best places to find me. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I'll do it again in the future.